Hello and welcome to the Community Action Group podcast, The Bach Party. Today, we have John Cran, Michigan Farm Bureau's National Legislative Council, Teresa Sasung, MFB's Industry Relations Specialist, and Lauren Komen, MFB's Manager of Industry Conservation and Regulatory Relations and Lead Economist, joining us to introduce September's discussion topic and get to know them a little better. Welcome everyone. We are so glad you could join us all. To get us started, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Lauren, we will start with you. Hi, I'm Lauren Kuman. As you said, I'm the lead economist here at Michigan Farm Bureau. I also have the privilege of leading our industry conservation and regulatory relations team. Um, I've been at Michigan Farm Bureau just over a year. Uh, after spending time in my career, both on my family's farm, doing business management consulting for farmers across the Midwest and some time in ag retail, and then some time in the Fortune 500 as well. So a pretty varied background, but happy to be back in, into agriculture here at Michigan uh, Farm Bureau. Um, a fun fact about myself maybe is that uh, as I was working on my family's farm, I lived on the 15th uh, floor of a 32-story high-rise building and would get some kind of funny looks when I came in with my work boots with some dirt on them during maybe planting or harvest season. So that's me. Uh, I can go next. Uh, Teresa Sissung, Industrial Relations Specialist with Michigan Farm Bureau. I've been here for uh, not quite five years, um, and I work predominantly with our crop growers um, as well as our commodity advisory committees. Um, grew up on a farm not real far from the home office here um, in northern Clinton County, where we are still involved there. We have corn, soybeans, and wheat, um, raised some show pigs, as well as we have a small feedlot. Um, and I was an active member um, prior to starting here, and I can remember the days of uh, being involved with community action groups as a kid. I remember sitting in the living room watching those videos that used to come out um, when my parents were heavily involved in Farm Bureau. So I definitely remember the old days of the community action groups, and I like the fact that we're trying to uh, really revive things and bring some stuff back. Uh, fun fact about me, I'm actually the middle of three girls. Um, Depending on the circle that I'm in, some people will know my younger sister or they may know my older sister, but um, not a lot of people seem to know all three of us. Uh, but we have been asked if we're triplets before, and actually all three of us are involved in agriculture. So um, if you see someone that looks like me, it's probably one of my sisters. I guess I'll close things out. I'm John Cran, your National Legislative Council, so I do federal lobbying with our team. Um, I've been on staff about 16 years, grew up on a dairy farm in West Michigan. Um, currently live in West Michigan. We've got uh, two young kids and we like to spend time outdoors, whether it's uh, going on hikes or going downhill skiing in the winter. Um, we try to do that as much as we can. And, uh, happy to be here today. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. Um, as, as we're jumping in, can you guys give us a brief overview of what we will be dis discussing this month? So the topic that we're going to talk about is foreign ownership of ag land. Um, it's a topic that's been brought up quite a bit by my members. It's seen a lot of uh, media attention, and we did create an issue brief about it that's been out there, as well as um, American Farm Bureau has been doing quite a bit of work on that topic and looking at 
what some of the different rules are related to foreign ownership and how it's tracked, as well as trying to look at where our policy stands on it. So there's information out there on Michigan Farm Bureau's website, as well as American Farm Bureau's, but we're going to cover that topic fairly broadly. Just add that our at the national level, um, the State Farm Bureau has had a robust conversation about this um, at the last annual meeting, and, and really the direction was for uh, this to go back to our advisory committees, the issue advisory committees, and come up with some recommendations. So some of what we talk about today will be a result of that. But this conversation has been ongoing, and um, we're, we're seeing legislation introduced in Washington. We've even had some pass in the Senate recently. Perfect. Thank yeah, so you. Yep, go ahead. I can, I can provide a little bit of background as far as, you know, the lay of the land, foreign egg, you know, foreign owned land in Michigan. Um, really, the majority is forest land, right? About 85% of, of any foreign owned land being forest land. A lot of that is, is Canadian owned. A lot of that is in the northern part of Michigan, especially in the UP. Um, so that, that's the biggest piece. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk of Chinese ownership. Um, you know, China is less than 1% of the land in the U.S. and in Michigan. Um, they're about the 18th largest. Obviously, we wanted to keep an eye on China, but at this point, they really aren't a big player. They own, you know, we think the reports of 385,000 acres in the U.S., it may be a little more than that, but um, it's not terribly significant, especially compared with their holdings in Africa, which uh, are a little hard to estimate, but most of the numbers I've seen out there say, you know, upwards of 100 million acres, 120 million acres, something like that, compared with, you know, maybe 400,000 in the U.S. So their focus has largely been more in, much more in Africa than, than in the U.S. It's probably worth noting, too, that a big jump in the number with China was uh, around the time when a, uh, a large ag processor was purchased by a Chinese company as well. So a lot of that may not be traditional farmland. It may be in, in other types of holdings um, related to that egg processor. Yeah, so yeah, Smithfield is, I think, about 30% of the uh, Chinese uh, holdings of, of farmland in the U.S. And yeah, a lot of it, like you say, John, is related to their plants and maybe maybe even land around the plants in, in close proximity to it So um, and some others. So. And when you look at Michigan, the... It's Canada and the Netherlands are the two largest foreign owners of ag land here in our state. So um, I think if you think about Canada and the forest land, if we think about the Netherlands and some of the dairy farms that we have, those those make a lot of sense as to why those are the biggest two countries. My ancestors came here in the <laughs> yeah. middle, 18, middle to late 1800s because of some things going on in the Netherlands. And uh, some of that, you might argue, has not changed. And so I think people are are still coming uh, here from there. And certainly there's some challenges in European agriculture regulations right now that are probably driving some of that as well. Okay, yeah, no, that's great information. Um, looking from a policy standpoint, you know, a couple of you guys referenced Farm Bureau policy. The discussion topic uh, references Michigan Farm Bureau policy number 58, Ag Security, an American Farm Bureau policy number 420 for an investment. Can you give us a brief overview of these policies and what Farm Bureau's current stance on foreign investment is? Sure, from a national perspective in the AFBF policy book 420 foreign investment, really um, it's a short one. It's basically that foreign investment in the US is a concern um, and 
impact on foreign investment in agriculture, banking, insurance, and other business institutions in the U.S. should be monitored. Um, we also talk a little about utility companies, natural resource businesses, etc. Um, you know, one thing we've talked a lot about at the national level is, is having the Secretary of Agriculture have a seat or at least an ex officio seat on the um, uh, CFIUS committee. And uh, I can tell you what that means in a second here. But basically, this is a group that looks at, at foreign purchases. Um, and uh, currently, they're not reviewing um, these from a, from an agricultural perspective uh, because the secretary is not on there. But you know they are looking at things as a whole. So that's something we have supported in legislative text at this point. Um, what we don't talk about here is specific countries. There's no mention of North Korea, China, other countries that um, may not always be friendly to the U.S. Um, so. That has been one thing that has kept us from getting on some legislation that has been introduced um, over the last couple of years. And from a Michigan Farm Bureau policy, um, we have a, a paragraph towards the end of that policy that states that um, foreign investment in Michigan assets is a concern, um, especially when looking at farmland ownership and ownership of ag land by non-resident aliens, foreign businesses, and foreign governments should be limited, if not prohibited, in Michigan. So. Um, we don't have a lot to say about foreign ownership, but we do have policy both at the state and federal level with a little bit of language on the issue. Great, yeah, and, and we're kind of in that hot time for policy development in the countryside. So looking at those policies um, and getting in touch with county farm bureaus if groups think, you know, maybe there are some other areas that we need to look at in terms of those policies. Um, on that hand, we recently launched county public policy committees. How can these committees and our community action group members impact this issue? So I think the biggest way is to be engaged. Um, you know, look through the emerging issues brief that we've written, look through some of the information that American Farm Bureau has put out. Um, there will be some uh, policy language that is proposed <clears throat> this year coming out of one of our advisory committees, as well as it's mirroring some language that's being proposed from uh, some of American Farm Bureau's advisory committees. So I think the big thing is to look at that and see, you know, does that, does that cover the concerns that they have? Um, but just to be engaged with the issues and pay attention to the things that come out related to this topic to make sure that our policy direction um, is going the way that they as the members and the grassroots want it to go. There's also some really good resources from the National Ag Law Center, the Congressional Research, Research Service, which are included in the American Farm Bureau links as well. Perfect. Is there any additional information you'd like to share on foreign land ownership before we wrap up? You know, one thought to consider as we're having this conversation. Um, you know, today it might be a concern with China. Tomorrow it may be another country. Um, you know, but the other the other element to this is is private property rights and and the decisions you have as landowners on what the future may be for your land if you. Uh, you know what you may choose to do with it. So uh, be thinking about that too as well, and how how our policy tends to be free market oriented and and um, giving farmers landowners the choice of what to do. 
Um, how does that factor into all this as well? Um, when you start maybe limiting certain investment options, uh, whether it's a, a friendly country or an unfriendly country and what that could look like and, and how laws are structured. I think it's just, you know, beware of unintended consequences, right? Um, I know there's a French company that uh, makes an applesauce product here in Michigan that's probably one of our best buyers of, of Michigan apples. Um, we'd certainly hate to see them caught up in, in something. You know, our apple producers, I know would hate to see them get caught up in something that they couldn't do production here, for example. Um, so, you know, we need to look at like all sides of this and just be careful of kind of unintended consequences, I think, as, as well. Great. So before we end, I have one final question for each of you. John, we'll start with you. What is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? that you think everyone should learn at some point? And I guess one important thing, working in the lobbying world, you know, how important it is to develop relationships with staff members, elected officials. So when you, it comes time to have difficult conversations or asking them to support something they may not be inclined to do, you already have that framework, that relationship to develop. Um, and that trust develops. So, I mean, I think that's something that's applicable to our members too, as we're working with our public policy committees um, and developing those relationships with elected officials. Get to know them, you know, get get to know them on a personal level, even, um, so that when you need to have those tough conversations, you're you already have a foot in the door. Most definitely, trust goes a long way, and I know. Um, members definitely appreciate all the work you do out on Capitol Hill and, and working with those folks. Lauren, what are three books you would recommend to our listeners? That's a pretty wide open question, but, you know, since economics is my jam, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit and, and give you give you three books from kind of the world of economics that are, uh, for the most part, pretty approachable. Um, I think to a general reader. So one is Black Swan, which talks about uh, kind of highly improbable events and how how we need to consider those and not just kind of averages. Uh, the second one would be Freakonomics by Lovett, uh, kind of an in, kind of an interesting book, kind of a fun read uh, with some really fun facts in it. And then if you're if you're really um, into economics and maybe into history as well, and kind of a history not. I would say Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, which came out in 1776. So this is the uh, foundation probably of a lot of modern economics. So if you're really a history nut and want to really geek out, uh, go for Wealth of Nations as well. Perfect. I think the last time we asked this question on the podcast, we heard a lot about different geography books. So we're just going to be very well-rounded as we're, we're reading all of these books. Yeah. Teresa, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? So this was tough. I narrowed it down to two, um, very different ends of the spectrum too. So the first one would be Mother Teresa, um, obviously had a huge impact on the world and just overall good person. So I would love to chat with her. And then uh, the other one would be Pat Summit, um, the legendary Tennessee women's basketball coach, which um, I think if, if you got them in a room together, they would be very, very opposite. But um, I'm a big sports nut, so I think that would be great for uh, to meet with Coach Summit. And then um, just I think Mother Teresa is an all-around 
great human being that we could all model our lives after a little bit. So uh, I'd love to have coffee with both of them. Yeah, definitely people we could all learn from. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of the Community Action Group podcast, The Block Party. We look forward to bringing you one episode a month. Thank you to Ashley Frazee for producing the podcast, and I hope you all enjoy your discussions this month.